Our Father, we thank you that you are willing to give us rest when we are weary. You are able to give us strength when we are weak. Father, we thank you that you're a solid rock that we can build our lives on, that no matter what comes our way, we can always trust that you are in control and that you will never leave us and that you will never forsake us. Father, Father, on this Memorial Day weekend, we remember the reality that the freedoms we enjoy here in America are certainly not free. They have cost many very dearly, Lord. We thank you for those who have given the ultimate price, paid with their very lives, with their blood, with their, with their time, Lord. We even thank you for those who are here in our midst this morning who have served in order to protect and secure our freedoms as Americans. Father, on this topic of freedom not being free, we also remember the freedom that we can have spiritually to stand before you without any condemnation also is not free. It's a free gift given to us, but it costs Jesus very dearly. And we thank you for his ultimate sacrifice on our behalf, taking our sins so that we would not have to pay the penalty for them. Lord, we thank you for all these things and pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. You may be seated. All right, today, Bob, um, the, the, the music is still up there. The PowerPoint isn't on the screen yet. It's actually not even up there yet. Um, we talk a lot about the importance of smooth transitions. I gave you guys plenty of time up there. I mean, I, I, I gave an extra long prayer even for Memorial Day. How come you guys aren't changing it? I mean, Henry, are you up there playing on, like, video games on your phone or something? I mean, come on. I mean, Bob, you've been up there for several years now. I know you know how to do this. I think the people here are expecting to see some um, something up there for the PowerPoint. Okay, thank you all. Today we're talking about patience. <laughs> and that was all just a setup, all planned. Uh, I hope you all can see that. But it, it just illustrates the fact that when things don't go the way that we want them to go, we get kind of grumpy and kind of irritable. Now, Bob and Henry do a great job up there. Um, I just want to give them a little round of applause because... It's kind of this thankful job, they, or thank, thankless job they have up there, working behind the scenes. But what they do does really affect our worship experience here on Sunday mornings. And oftentimes people don't even recognize there are people up there until something doesn't go quite right up here on the screen. But Bob has served faithfully up there for a number of years. And Henry Nowak has been up there for a couple of months uh, training in how to do this. And they both do it with very joyful uh, spirits. So we want to uh, thank them. But we are talking about the topic of patience today. And we need to recognize that in our culture, we are being trained oftentimes to be impatient. Our culture trains us to be impatient. For instance, if you ever order from Amazon, you're probably familiar with Amazon Prime. If you aren't familiar with it, it's a nice service that you can sign up for a free 30-day trial to get free two-day shipping on anything you order. No matter how small the order is, you get free two-day shipping. But if, you have, if you've ever used Amazon Prime, you probably recognize that when that trial runs out, if you don't pay the $70 or $80 to renew it, you can easily get impatient when anything takes longer than two days to get to you. I'm experiencing that impatience right now with some stuff I ordered through Amazon Marketplace. I wanted it here like a couple days ago, not in a few days from now. We are trained to be impatient. If you have TiVo, 
You've probably learned you've been trained to be impatient with three minutes worth of commercials when you have to endure those, say, when you're at someone else's house. Fast food. Fast food is great because it comes fast. But it trains us to be impatient so that then if we're in a fast food restaurant and we have to wait more than two minutes for our order, we get impatient. We, we used to have email. We still have email, which is very nice. But now we've moved ahead in, in the impatience factor here to texting. And now since people have their phones just plastered to their hands or in their pockets all the time, always on them, if we send a text to someone and have to wait more than like 30 seconds to get a response, we're like, what are they doing? We get impatient. We want a response right now. So we live in a culture that is training us in many ways to be impatient. Yet we hear many times that patience is a virtue. But it's a virtue that's very, very difficult to live out. I invite you to turn your Bibles to Exodus chapter 34. Exodus 34. We're in a series right now called Fruit of the Spirit, in which we're looking at nine character qualities from Galatians chapter 5 that the Apostle Paul calls the fruit of the Spirit. He's saying that if the Holy Spirit is in the driver's seat of your life, if he is in control of you, these nine qualities will naturally be manifested in and through your life. The nine qualities are love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. And today we are talking about this topic of patience. And if we really want to look at a biblical perspective on patience, we have to start by looking at God, at his abounding patience that he has shown humans down through history. You see, many years ago, the Israelite people lived in Egypt. They lived there for many generations, and they were slaves there in Egypt. They got tired of being slaves, so they were crying out to God for deliverance and for relief. God heard their cries for mercy, and he sent Moses to help lead them out of slavery in Egypt. And God did miraculous things in leading them out of there. For instance, when Pharaoh sent his Egyptian army to chase down these Israelites as they were escaping, God divided the Red Sea to give them safe passageway through. When the Israelite people were out in the wilderness and they got hungry, God provided them with food. When the Israelites got thirsty, God provided them with water. God provided for them over and over and over. And we see at one point they come to a mountain that's called Sinai. At Mount Sinai, God wanted to establish a covenant, a deeper relationship with the Israelite people to really set them apart as his chosen people. He told them, you know what? I will be your God. You will be my people. Out of all the nations, I have chosen you as my treasured possession. God wanted them to, to represent him to the surrounding world. And so there at Mount Sinai, God called Moses, the leader of those Israelites, up to the top of the mountain in order to meet with Moses because representing God in this world is, is very high calling. So God wanted to set up some parameters for how the Israelites ought to live. So he called Moses up the mountain and was giving Moses these laws, these commandments, these parameters for how the people should live in order to represent him faithfully. Among those, those parameters and laws that God gave uh, the Israelites through Moses were what, were what we know as the Ten Commandments. The first commandment is that you shall have no other God before me. The second commandment says that you shall not make an image or an idol and bow down and worship it because God's saying, I am to be the Lord your God. So God is setting forth these parameters, putting a special stamp of approval on the Israelite people. 
Throughout Scripture, uh, we see the relationship between God and his people described using imagery of marriages. And so if the relationship between God and his people is like a marriage, what was taking place there at Mount Sinai was like the wedding ceremony. But there is a very quick problem with this wedding ceremony because the Israelites got very impatient. They got very impatient there. They, they said at one point, Come, make us gods who will go before us. As for this fellow Moses who brought us up out of Egypt, we don't know what happened to him. So they got impatient while Moses was up, was up there on the mountain receiving God's parameters and, and teachings. So they said, Okay, we're going to make our own little god. So they got together all their gold jewelry. They melted it down. They made this little golden calf. And they bowed down and worshipped that little golden calf. They had forsaken God. So if this is a wedding ceremony, what's essentially taking place here is that God is at the altar waiting for his bride to join him up there. His bride never comes. Where is his bride? Well, she's, metaphorically speaking, she's at a cheap motel with another man. That's essentially what's going on here. And God is furious because, I mean, he wants to establish this special relationship with the Israelite people, but they are very quickly turning their backs on him. Moses comes down the mountain. He's carrying these stone tablets that contain God's law. And when he sees what's going on there, this blatant idolatry and rebellion against God, he in his anger throws these stone tablets down the ground and they break into pieces. And this breaking of those stone tablets is symbolic of the fact that now the relationship between God and his people is broken. Yeah, remember, God is abounding in patience. And so not too long after that, God calls Moses to go back up the mountain to make new stone tablets to receive the law again because God still wants to establish this covenant with the Israelite people. And listen to what he says to Moses up there on that mountain as he's giving the law once again. Exodus 34, verses 6 and 7. God said, The Lord, the Lord, the compassionate and gracious God, slow to anger, abounding in love and faithfulness, maintaining love to thousands, and forgiving wickedness, rebellion, and sin. Yet he does not leave the guilty unpunished. He punishes the children and their children for the sin of the parents to the third and fourth generation. There's a lot here in this passage, but one of the phrases I want to point out here is the phrase, slow to anger. This is a phrase that was used uh, to describe Patience. In fact, if you look at the Greek translation of the Old Testament Hebrew uh, scriptures, the word there for slow to anger in Greek is makrothumia. It's, it's patience. And this idea of slow to anger is very relevant when we talk about the topic of patience because when we get impatient, it's usually because some degree of anger is welling up inside of us that usually is, is about to overflow in terms of how we treat someone else around us or how we're treating and reacting to circumstances. And patience comes from anger welling up inside of us. And so patience, on the other hand, is being slow to anger. Now, the exact phrase here in the original Hebrew for slow to anger is being long in the nose. Being long in the nose. If you're patient, you're long in the nose. It's not about Pinocchio. It's not about your nose growing. But it's this idea that in their culture, they viewed the nose as symbolic of of containing anger. 
that when you get angry, your nose sometimes turns red. It sometimes gets kind of hot. Uh, your, your nostrils kind of flare. If you think of, of a raging bull, they oftentimes start snorting when they get angry. We, we speak of, of um, having a short fuse or having a short temper. In that culture, if you had a short nose, metaphorically speaking, you have a short fuse. You, you become impatient very, very easily. But if you have a long nose, it means that you are slow to anger, that you are willing to exercise patience and forgiveness and grace rather than blowing the top at a moment's notice. And so it says here that God is slow to anger. And if you look at the, around there in verse 6, these other characteristics that are described describe the multifaceted motivation for patience. God says that he is compassionate and gracious. He is slow to anger, abounding in love and faithfulness, maintaining love to thousands, meaning thousands of generations, forgiving wickedness, rebellion, and sin. This idea of God being compassionate and gracious, being faithful, being forgiving, all those characteristics contribute to being patient because the more compassion you have for someone, the more loving you are, the more forgiving you are, the more you're going to be able to exercise patience in that relationship. You see, these characteristics of godliness, even the fruit of the Spirit, they aren't standalone qualities. They really all work together to, to uh, complement one another. And so there's a multifaceted motivation for patience. And we also see here in this passage that patience doesn't mean that anything goes. See, some people think, okay, if you're going to be patient, you need kind of this laissez-faire approach to life that you just kind of let everything slide no matter what happens. No, biblically speaking, there are consequences for sin. There needs to be accountability mixed with that patience. There are multiple characteristics and attributes we have to look at here. But look with me to uh, beginning in the second half of verse 7. It says, Yet he does not leave the guilty unpunished. He punishes the children and their children for the sin of their parents to the third and the fourth generation. Now, this can be a very confusing passage. You're like, okay, what does this mean? Does this mean that if I'm a parent and I commit some sin, that my children and grandchildren and great-grandchildren need to start watching out because God's going to come after them to get them for my sin? That's not really what it means here. What God is talking about is how sin can become generational, though, that oftentimes the sin that parents commit is then picked up by the children and the grandchildren. For instance, we see this oftentimes with anger. If you have a parent who is angry a lot, who has anger issues, odds are very good the child also is going to pick up on those same anger issues and begin living them out in their lives. And it is passed down through the generations. Same thing occurs in sins like alcoholism or, or materialism or pride. They're sins that are passed down through the generations. And what God is saying here is that the children cannot say, okay, my parents are to blame. They were the ones who were originally angry or, or idolatrous or, or greedy or something. I'm just kind of following in their shoes. They're the ones who are really to blame. God's saying, no, each person is responsible for their own sin. Down through the generations, each person is held responsible for their own sin. So, so it's not a laissez-faire approach. Patience doesn't mean that anything goes. And this idea of sin being passed down through the generations is particularly relevant to the idea of idolatry, which the Israelites were so prone to. If you know anything about Israelite history in the Old Testament, you probably know 
that they have a terrible track record of being faithful to God. That over and over and over and over they turn their back on God's, God in order to follow false gods, in order to follow their own ways. Yet God was patient with them. Listen to what God uh, um, speaks uh, through Nehemiah. Nehemiah chapter 9, verse 30. It says, For many years you were patient with them, speaking of God being patient with the Israelites. By your spirit you warned them through your prophets. Yet they paid no attention so you gave them into the hands of the neighboring peoples. See, God was patient to them. He kept sending prophets. I mean, all those funny names in the second half of the Old Testament, uh, Isaiah, Nahum, uh, I mean, Habakkuk and uh, Malachi and all those names, those are prophets that God sent to Israel to try to call them back to himself. But they, they, they would sometimes listen for a little while, but they kept turning their back on God over and over and over. And so he would take some more significant measures to try to wake them up, to call them to repentance, to call them back to him. Because patience doesn't mean that anything goes. Yet, through all of this, God was still exercising patience. There's this really cool phrase here about God being compassionate and gracious, slow to anger, abounding in love and faithfulness. This is a phrase that recurs many, many times through the Old Testament. Let me give you an example of a few passages where this occurs almost word for word. Numbers 14, 18. Nehemiah 9, 17. Psalm 86, 15. Psalm 103, verse 8. Psalm 145, verse 8. Joel 2, 13. Jonah 4, 2. These are all places where this phrase that originates in, in Exodus 34, verse 6, about the Lord being compassionate and gracious, slow to anger, abounding in love, that phrase is repeated practically verbatim in all these other places as a continual reminder... <laughs> that despite Israel's unfaithfulness to God, he's still going to remain faithful with them. He is going to be patient. He's going to be loving to them. And so we see that God is patient. Even though he's not going to let sin slide, he's ultimately going to pay for sin through his son on the cross because he's still just. He still wants to exercise patience and love and grace. Now, there are some critics out there who say, okay, the Old Testament God is so different than the New Testament God. And the Old Testament God is so wrathful, so judgmental, so harsh. The New Testament God is so loving and so gracious. So so they say, okay, the Bible doesn't have any coherence. It doesn't really fit together. Uh, It's two different gods. It it doesn't make sense. The reality is when we look at the Old Testament, we see the same God that we see in the New Testament that he is loving and gracious and, and patient in the Old Testament, yet he also speaks of judgment, of the importance of repentance, of the consequences of sin in the Old Testament. In the New Testament, through Jesus, he is definitely embodying love and grace and patience, yet Jesus speaks more about hell than anyone else in all of Scripture. Jesus certainly speaks very clearly about judgment as well. And so we see in both Testaments, old and new, it's the same God in both. And I think passages like here in Exodus 34, verse 6, that we see recurring throughout the Old Testament are important to remember, to understand that, the, that God is the same yesterday, yesterday, today, and forever. So we see that God is patient. And his patience really has a desired end. He wants our, his patience to lead us to repentance. Let me refer us to Romans chapter 2, verse 4. The Apostle Paul says, Do you show contempt for the riches of God's kindness, forbearance, and patience, 
not realizing that God's kindness is intended to lead you to repentance? See, the reason that God is kind to us, the reason that he delays his wrath and judgment, the reason why he is patient, is he wants us to come to repentance. The same thing is said essentially in 2 Peter chapter 3, verse 9. Uh, the Christians there that Peter's writing to are wanting Christ to return now. They don't want Christ to return later. They want him to come back now. But Peter reminds them, the Lord is not slow in keeping his promise, as some understand slowness. Instead, he is patient with you, not wanting anyone to perish, but everyone to come to repentance. So God is patient. Christ hasn't returned yet because God is still looking for more people to turn to him in repentance. That's his desired reason for why he's so patient. I mean, he could just come down and strike us all down right now. He could try to provoke us like with a taser gun or something in order to be obedient. And he could probably get some degree of obedience if he used the certain types of measures that inflict pain and harshness. But he's patient with us because he wants us to turn to him willingly in repentance. And when we see patience listed as a fruit of the Spirit, we have to understand that God wants us to take his patience that he demonstrates with us And he wants the Holy Spirit to bear that out in our relationships with those around us so that we too will be characterized by patience. Now, when we talk about patience, I want to talk for a few minutes about how patience is truly transformational. Patience, if we're able to live it out, allow the Holy Spirit to work in us to bear that fruit of patience, he will transform us and he will transform others around us as well. One of the things, ways that patience transforms us is that it matures us from the inside out. You see, God is in control of everything. We know and we can trust that God is working everything out for our good and for his glory. But what, patient, what impatience does is it makes us say we want things our way right now. It essentially makes us into whiny little brats where we say, okay, I want it my way. I want my, my needs met. I want it on my timetable. I want my opinions to be the ones being heard. I want my opinions to be the ones influencing things. I want my comfort met. I want my desires met. That's what impatience does. It prioritizes ourselves over everything else. But patience says, you know what? I'm going to submit my desires and my timetable to others, looking not only to my own interests, but also to the interests of others. I'm also going to recognize that God is in control and he is wise, he is sovereign. And I'm going to trust him that even though he is not working maybe on my timetable right here, he is still trustworthy. So I am going to choose to be patient and let him take the lead in this situation. That's what patience does. I mean, it's hard to be patient though. But patience, if we are able to exercise and allow the Holy Spirit to take control of our lives, then he will be maturing us from the inside out. Over the last couple of years here at Freedens, I've kind of been following the journey of, of a young woman who, who attends here. She's on, uh, out on a camping trip right now, but Ashley Cucker. Um, Ashley graduated from MATC back in May of 2012, so two years ago with a degree in dental hygiene. And she has been seeking for the last two years a long-term position as a dental hygienist. Through the last two years, she has sent out her resume to over 75 area dentists. She has, um, she's interviewed with a handful of them, but for various reasons did not get those jobs. And so she has been forced into a position 
of needing to be patient. Um, I'm sure that patience is not always easy, but, but it's been interesting to watch this journey for her. She's been able to work through temp agencies for a lot of time. She's worked, she said, in 40 different offices over the last two years. I mean, 40 different ones. She's even worked here at Freedon's for three months uh, while Heidi, our administrative assistant, was on maternity leave. I mean, so she's been faithful on her end to try to remain patient and to try to follow God's leading and God's timing and to make the most of the opportunities that come along, along that way. I want to read to you a little bit that she wrote. Um, Like I said, she's not able to be here this morning, but I think this is really indicative of how patience through trying circumstances can really mature us. Ashley said, reflecting back in the last two years, she said, there were times when I felt a little discouraged when opportunities wouldn't work out. But for the most part, I stayed pretty positive. I may have gone a couple of weeks where I did not work, but for the most part, things kept working out so perfectly with back-to-back temp jobs. During the time I was waiting, I really grew as a person through my experiences. By working at so many different offices... I gained a great deal of professional experience in my field. I learned to be flexible by having to go to different offices every week. The best part of the experience was that it strengthened my trust in God. I've been so blessed with temp jobs coming my way and working out so perfectly where I'd finish up one job and start another one the next week. I stayed patient and positive through the whole experience because I trusted God had a plan for me. It was very encouraging to see God working in such awesome ways. Now, a couple of weeks ago, she did have those prayers answered in the way that she was kind of hoping in terms of she got a more permanent job. It's still not full-time, but it's a couple days a week of ongoing work into the future. So she was very excited about that. And she said, the dentist that hired me happens to be a Christian who goes on missions trips to third world countries and does dental work there. He also is very into geocaching and goes caching with his church's youth group. If you don't know what geocaching is, it's just a hobby that that Ashley enjoys, that she's excited that he enjoys that too. She says, I'm just awed at how perfect everything worked out to get this position. I can definitely look back and say that the reason I stayed so positive and patient was because I trusted that everything would work out according to God's plan. This is a real-life testimony from someone who normally sits right over there on Sunday mornings and... And she's right here in our midst, but has been waiting two years. She graduated with this dental hygiene degree. I mean, it's good at what she does, but for various reasons, it's hard to get into that field um, when you're brand new with little experience. She's been waiting patiently. She's been faithful from her end. And you see how she's grown, really, in her walk with God. And I think, I mean, if you know her, if you've interacted with her very much, you see this patience lived out. I'm sure, as she said, there, there are times when it's easy to get discouraged. But she's been able to live with patience because she's trusting that God's plan is going to work out perfectly through these circumstances. I think this is a great picture of how in our lives, God is more interested in the journey that we are on than about the destinations that we set up for ourselves. See, our impatience oftentimes comes because we are focused on certain destinations, getting that job, getting married, having kids, getting that raise, buying that house, getting a new car, getting that new phone. We set up all these different destinations. We set up goals in our work and our school, and we want to graduate and stuff like that. And we get impatient because it's taking a while to get to that goal. But what we need to realize and what can help us gain patience in the midst of all this 
is that God's more interested in the journey. He wants to see us growing and maturing in the journey rather than just getting us to all these various destinations. You see, God's primary interest, I believe, is not just to make us happy. See, our happiness is what we think will make us content and joyful in life, that, that if we just reach our goals and reach those destinations that we want, then we'll be happy. And then when we don't reach them as quickly as we want to, we get impatient. But God's ultimate goal isn't to make us happy. It's to make us holy and to make us fruitful. And that process takes time. And God uses these circumstances and these relationships that may tempt us towards impatience, but he uses them to refine us, to, to help us to depend more on him, to make us into the men and women whom he wants us to be. I mean, if you got everything that you wanted right when you wanted it, you'd be a spoiled brat. God's looking for men and women who through the fires of trials and through the, the challenges of, of uncertainty are able to refine their faith as they trust in him. And so we see that, that patience matures us. Patience also empowers others around us to grow. I mean, think about Jesus and his relationship with Peter. I mean, if you know much about Peter, you know that Peter had a few challenges, at least during the three years that he was following Jesus. Early in Jesus' ministry, he met this man named Simon, who is a fisherman. It seems like a fairly successful fishing business. And, and he had some, Jesus had some conversations with Simon. And in the, in the midst of those conversations, Jesus told Simon, from now on, you will be called Peter. Peter means rock. And essentially, he's referring to how Peter, at one point in the future, is going to be the solid pillar that the early church is going to be built on in many different ways. And, and so Jesus calls this man rock. But through the next three years, Peter is anything but a solid rock. I mean, it's, it's kind of sadly humorous. Um, in a kind of sick way to see all the failures that Peter had. I mean, saying things when he shouldn't have spoken and, and being silent when he should have um, said something, sticking his foot in his mouth, which is like you wondering, like, Peter, what in the world are you thinking here? I mean, he, 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 I mean, he does all kinds of things. He fails right and left. Sometimes he get thing, gets things right. I mean, the climax of, of the whole passion story of Jesus' uh, trial and crucifixion, what's Peter doing? He's denying even knowing Christ three different times. Yet Jesus repeatedly shows grace and patience with Peter. I mean, if he hadn't, we probably wouldn't ever have heard of Peter. Or he'd be kind of like Judas, where he certainly doesn't have a good association with his name. He probably would have gone back to his fishing business. But instead, because of Jesus' patience with Peter, he gave Peter space and time to grow and to mature. And now we know Peter is one of the pillars of the early church one of the men who helped set the stage for the growth of Christianity around this world. And it goes back to Jesus' patience to allow Peter to grow rather than expecting instant perfection. And that's what patience does. It gives people time and room to grow. It gives people a chance to really see and experience God's transforming love rather than casting down judgment on them with hellfire and brimstone. It says, you know what? Yes, you're struggling right now, but I'm going to come and walk alongside of you rather than casting you off in the midst of your struggle. That is what patience does. Impatience tends to drive a wedge in relationships. It makes people more hard-hearted. It pushes people away. But if we're able to have a warm patience with the people around us, it will oftentimes soften hearts 
and increases teachability for people to grow. Now, there are certainly times where patience is not warranted. I want to just point out a couple of those just so we're clear on this. One time is in abusive type of situations. For people who are in abusive situations where maybe a parent, a spouse, a friend is abusing them emotionally, verbally, physically, what those people need is not necessarily patience, but it's limits and boundaries. And there are times in those situations when the best thing you can do is to get distance between yourself and an abusive person, either emotionally or maybe even physical distance. Because abuse does not call for patience. One other time that patience is certainly not called for is in terms of enabling sin. Now, we all have sin in our lives, and we need to be patient with each other's shortcomings. Yet at the same time, patience should not enable someone else's sin. We should not make excuses to allow someone else to keep sinning. We should not take the blame for them. We should not uh, manipulate circumstances to enable them to continue to sin. Because remember, patience is not this laissez-faire approach. It's not saying anything goes. There is a place um, in patience to also uh, challenge people, to encourage people to grow. But it comes alongside them and does it warmly, gently, wanting to see them built up rather than just casting them out. So patience really empowers other people to grow. And thirdly, patience displays the gospel. Displays the gospel because Jesus and God has shown us so much patience down through the years. And we can extend that same patience to others. I want to turn us to Colossians uh, chapter 3. Colossians 3, verses 12 and 13. Paul writes, Therefore, as God's chosen people, holy and dearly loved, clothe yourselves with compassion, kindness, humility, gentleness, and patience. Bear with each other and forgive one another if any of you has a grievance against someone. Forgive as the Lord forgave you. So we see here again this connection between patience and anger. The, the impatience causes anger, anger to well up. Patience helps subdue it. It helps us to bear with others, to forgive just as Christ forgave us. So as we are patient with other people, it displays Christ's great patience to us. Now, how do we grow in patience? Some people will say, well, to grow in patience, you just need to be in situations where you're tempted to be impatient and then just learn to be patient through those things. But how do we really grow in patience? I want to give us a little diagram that I think is a helpful illustration in this. It's that of a temperature gauge that you see in a car. And, and rather than a temperature gauge, I want you to think of this as the patience gauge in your life. And in a temperature gauge in a car, you have this little red zone where you certainly don't want to see the needle get up into that red zone because that's when it becomes very dangerous for your vehicle. For us, on this patience gauge, that red zone is like the breaking point, that when we get there, the impatience boils over in very negative ways towards those around us, or perhaps towards God, or perhaps even towards ourselves. And the, the thing that we need to do is try to keep that needle on the lower part of that patience gauge away from that breaking point. Now, how do we do that? I, I want to just point out there are a couple different levels in which we do this. One is with our general disposition in terms of our, our overall lifestyle. Some of us live lifestyles that are so stressed and, and so challenging where we are constantly pushed to the limit that that needle almost always is up near that red line, near that breaking point. And if that's the case, all it takes is the smallest irritation, the smallest frustration to really push us over the limit 
And so if you see someone or if you find in yourself that, that you are constantly impatient, it's probably because that needle is constantly up very close to that breaking point area. You need to find ways to bring it back down. Now, one of the good ways to do it is by getting what's called margin in our lives. Um, a few years ago, there was a book that was written called Margin by Richard Swenson. He is a medical doctor who's also a Christian. And he, he observed through his practice that so many people lack what he calls margin in their lives. And margin is that distance between the level on which they are operating in terms of physical energy, emotional energy, time and finances. There's, there's not much uh, distance between the level they're operating at and their limits. And if you don't have that margin uh, in there between the level you're operating at and your limit, it's pretty dangerous because the smallest thing can kind of push you over the limit and make you break, push you to that breaking point. And, and that's when impatience just boils over. He says you need to build margin into your life in terms of emotional energy, in terms of physical energy, in terms of, of time, and in terms of finances. And if we're able to do this, and have this margin. That way, when something does come up and is a little bit challenging to us, then we're much less likely just to, to, to just let impatience spew out everywhere. I mean, think about it. For instance, a practical example. Um, if your routine is to get to work at the very last minute before you're supposed to be there, and, and you're just kind of pushing through all the time, and, and you're just last minute, not getting there early at all, and traffic slows you down a few extra minutes, you're probably very prone to impatience during that time, aren't you? But if you're able to build a little bit more margin in there, say, uh, leave an extra 10 minutes early, it's not that long, but you build a little bit of extra margin in there, that way, if something unexpected does come up and delays you just a little bit, then you won't be as prone to impatience. It's about building that buffer zone in there so that you aren't always up there as, as close to that breaking point. I think a great practice is in the morning just to start by surrendering your day to God, saying, God, this day is about the journey. God, I, I just want to trust you with this day. Please give me patience and forgiveness to others when things don't go quite the way I want them to. And, and by surrendering to God, we're saying, God, you take the wheel of my life. Holy Spirit, you bear this fruit of patience through me because I can't do it myself. That's one of the reasons that for me, um, in those mornings where I find I'm, I'm especially tired or stressed about what's going on that day. That's why I'm usually, I try to be very intentional to pray especially for patience and peace during that day because I know I'm, I'm going to be more easily impatient or, or irritable. So that's how we need to start each and every day is surrendering to God, asking him to bear that fruit of patience through us. I mean, Jesus definitely lived this out because, I mean, he had interruptions come his way all the time. You don't see him getting impatient as people come and interrupt. Instead, it's an opportunity to be a blessing. And that's what happens when you build that margin into your lives. And the second level in which this plays out is just in the spur of the moment. Because sometimes you have those things that just happen, things that are said, events that take place that just make you want to just throw, throw patience right out the window. And in those times, I think it's helpful to kind of picture this gauge in your mind. I actually had this little mini revelation last night. I was uh, with, um, with my kids. This gauge was kind of in my mind because I was thinking about it through the week. My kids were frustrating me. Um, they were kind of fighting with each other and um, kind of hitting me as well. And so I was getting frustrated pretty quickly. And instantly I had this little gauge kind of pop up in my mind. 
and realized that Neil's going up very quickly about to reach that breaking point where I'm going to get very angry and probably do or say something that really isn't the best thing to do or say. And so in that moment, I mean, it's a matter of just a couple seconds, I began to think about how can I get that needle back down? And so it was just this prayer process in my mind of, God, help me to surrender this to you. Please help me to be patient in this time. Help me to be calm because it's amazing how when you are calm and patient, even in the midst of a stressful situation where others are not calm and patient, your calm and patience can help bring down the whole, ener- the whole anger level, the whole impatience level. But if you get angry, if you allow the impatience to boil over, it just escalates the situation all the more. And so I was trying to think, okay, how do I calm down here and keep myself uh, filled with spirit and under control rather than just adding to the impatience level and the anger level of what's going on here? And in that moment, because I was surrendering to God, I was able to do that and able to have a pretty decent outcome. I need to, need to do that more because parenting has a way of bringing out impatience in you that you didn't know was there. But this is what we need to do is just to, to constantly be monitoring our lives and be prayerful about how do we keep that stress level and that frustration level down so that then we have a little bit more clearance and margin so that when things do come up that don't go our way, rather than becoming irritable and, and grumpy and impatient, instead we can exercise grace and patience and love. This is something that only the Holy Spirit can ultimately empower us to do. But I believe that the Holy Spirit is doing something really cool and exciting in us as individuals, as I know, I mean, I know you all out here, and I, I believe he's doing something really cool and amazing in us as a church. But it takes patience because God is bearing fruit, but it takes time. I've heard it said that God will do less in, in one year than you hope he will do. But if you're faithful to him, he will do more in five years than you can ever imagine. I've seen that in my five years here at Freedom's. It's, it's exciting to see what he's doing in our midst. It's exciting to see what he's doing in many individuals' lives here, but it takes patience. My prayer is that we will be men and women who have a long nose, who are slow to anger, abounding in love. Not, not long nose, Pinocchio style, full of lies, but long nose in terms of patience, extending that patience to others in the same way that God has extended his patience to us through Christ. Let's pray. Our Father, we thank you for your great patience. And we certainly confess that we, um, we are oftentimes not very patient, Lord. And I know that we all have circumstances that are probably even coming to mind right now that we are less than patient in. But in those circumstances, Lord, please help us to surrender to you, to, to enable the Holy Spirit to take control of our lives, so that then rather than extending impatience to others, that we will be patient. And as we do so, that you will bear fruit in and through us, that you will enable others around us to grow to be the men and women who you're calling them to be as well. So, Lord, we thank you for your patience for us. In Jesus' name, amen.